Good morning. All right, a little bit better this time. My name is June Park, and I serve as one of the elders here at Forest Park Church, and it's my privilege to bring you the message this morning. So we began our sermon series in 2 Timothy last week, and so as a recap, here's what we've learned. Paul is in jail in Rome. He's on death row. He's about to be executed. Paul is writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus. Ephesus is a major city in Asia. Back then, Asia is like the western region of what we know as Turkey today. Timothy is in Ephesus to do what? He's there to deal with false teachers in Ephesus and also to appoint faithful church leaders. What else do we know? Timothy is Paul's friend. Timothy is Paul's co-laborer in the ministry. Timothy is a son in the faith for Paul. Timothy, in essence, is an evangelist traveling around from city to city, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as planting churches and appointing faithful leaders to these churches. Timothy was affectionate. We know this from his tears that he shed for Paul. Timothy is fearful. Timothy is shy, and he is timid. So Paul, in 2 Timothy, like his first letter to Timothy, encourages him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just in case we think that this is only applicable to pastors, I trust that you'll see this morning and through the rest of the series in 2 Timothy that Paul is encouraging all of us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you. You are God. You are holy. You deserve all our praise. Thank you for allowing us to worship you and to praise you. Lord, we're about to get ready to get into your word. Open our hearts. Open our eyes. Lord, empty me of anything that is of myself. Fill me with your spirit and help me pour out your word, your good news. Help us, Father, as we pray and preach and sing to glorify you. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The title for today's message is Guard the Gospel. So we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. And so if you're taking notes, the three points are these. Number one, do not be ashamed of the gospel. The second point is remember the truths of the gospel. And the third is hold fast the gospel. So our first point, do not be ashamed of the gospel, is found in verse 8. So let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So Paul starts off with therefore, reminding Timothy that what we read last week in verses 6 and 7, that he is to fan the flame of God, to continue to be strong and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? A couple of things. Timothy was ordained. Paul laid his hands on him to be a minister of Jesus Christ. Others, like Paul, recognized his gift 
how he was using his gift faithfully and selflessly in ministry and encouraged him. That's why Paul laid his hands on him and ordained him to preach. The second reason Paul gives to Timothy to be strong and preach the good news is that God gave him a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So in verse 8, Paul then tells Timothy to not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So let's add some context here. It's tough. It was real tough being a Christian in the first century. Shame and fear were huge challenges for Christians. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1? What did the Jews want? Jews wanted signs. The Greeks wanted wisdom. So here are the Christians proclaiming Jesus crucified and resurrected. You know what that sounded like to most people? Absolute nonsense. People thought Christians were fools. Preaching Jesus didn't offer mystical signs or some intellectual enlightenment. This is why Christians were mocked, beaten, arrested, killed. People were mocking them. They were asking questions like, hey, where is your king? What has your king conquered? Now, you add all of this context with young Timothy, young-ish Timothy, in a large city in Ephesus, dealing with false teachers, trying to appoint faithful teachers. And you can see why Paul's exhortation to Timothy to not be ashamed makes a lot of sense. See, Timothy needs this encouragement. He needed this encouragement. I'd say similarly, we need this encouragement in the Lord. Our pastor needs this encouragement in the Lord. Paul also says, don't be ashamed of me, God's prisoner. I love this about Paul. He refers to himself as God's prisoner. Paul didn't say a prisoner of Rome. Paul didn't say a prisoner of the Jews. These guys turned me in. No, Paul wasn't feeling sorry for himself. He wasn't having a pity party. Paul wasn't playing the victim card. Actually, Paul in jail, was proclaiming his Lord. See, Paul was assured of the sovereignty of God. He knew that God was in control. Being in jail was ordained by God. Paul took comfort in knowing that God, God wasn't pacing around, frustrated, like, how could you get yourself arrested? You know, I have big plans, right, Paul? What are you doing? I wasn't going to say this, but this is like some sermons we hear, not here, maybe in other places. It's like, hey, God has got great plans for you. He wants you to be successful. All you have to do is just activate his power. I'm here waiting for you to do that. And God's like in the sidelines, do your thing. You know what that is? That's nonsense. That's not the gospel. That is not a God that we worship here. You know what that calls? That's called, that's called the genie. You rub that bottle and say, hey, I want this, I want that. Paul knew what Job said to God in Job 42, verse 2. Job said to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
It was God's purpose for Paul to be in jail, and he took comfort in it. Now, if we were placed in jail for proclaiming Jesus Christ, placed on death row, I wonder if we would be this confident in our God. Remember Paul and Silas when they were in jail? What did they do? They sang praises. They prayed that if this was happening to us in jail because we were proclaiming Christ, would we be singing praises to God? Would we be singing what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls belong to him? Who holds the day within his hand? What comes apart from his command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. May it be that if that was our case, that we indeed would be proclaiming our Savior. The fact that Paul was beaten, arrested, and about to be executed was ordained by God. He was in jail because of Jesus and his sake. Paul says, don't be ashamed of me, Timothy, because being ashamed of the gospel and being ashamed of Paul, the messenger of the gospel, is really like being ashamed of Jesus himself. So Paul is really saying, don't be ashamed of our Lord, Timothy. Then Paul goes on to write, rather than be ashamed, do this instead. He says, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Turn away from your weakness and rely on the help from God, Timothy, that we will endure suffering for the sake of the gospel because God will deliver us by his power. It's encouragement for us, right? Forest Park Church, turn away from our weakness and rely on God for help. Forest Park Church, we will endure suffering for the sake of the gospel because God will deliver us by his power. This promise is for us. It's not just for Paul or Timothy. We are to guard the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. The second point, if you're taking notes, is remember the truths of the gospel. Part of guarding the gospel is to remember the truths of the gospel. So we're going to read now verses 9 and 10. That's what it says. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Part of guarding the gospel is to remember the truths of the gospel. So Paul reminds Timothy the truths of the gospel. So we could spend weeks here just on this passage. I'm going to do my best to summarize because I promise I'm going to get us to the picnic, okay? So don't worry. We'll get there. Paul says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. See, suffering for God pales in comparison to the salvation 
that we have in Jesus Christ. Suffering is temporary. Having salvation, being in the presence of the mighty God through Jesus Christ is what? It's eternal. Do you believe this? Do we? Can we take comfort claiming this truth from his word? Is this how we live? Is this how we, is this how I deal with difficulty, deal with suffering? Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So brothers and sisters, salvation is the work of God. So not only did God save us, he called us to a holy calling. This holy calling or summoning is God calling us to salvation and calling us to a holy living. The dead cannot resurrect themselves. Remember Lazarus? Who summoned him? The Lord summoned him to rise. Look at Paul when he was Saul. He was a terrorist, terrorizing Christians. You know what did not happen? He didn't happen one day to be like, oof, I don't think what I'm doing is good. It's not nice. I need to seek the Lord. No, it's not what Scripture says. God called him and saved him. God turned his heart of stone into heart of flesh. God literally gave him sight to see, gave him a new identity in Jesus Christ, and gave him a new name from Saul to Paul. The sovereign grace of God is evident all throughout the Bible, right? We see his grace upon Adam and Eve when he did not strike them down dead immediately after they rebelled. That's God's grace. We see God's initiating work all throughout. Remember Noah, Moses, Abraham, David, all the ones that were healed, resurrected, all called, all summoned by God. This is our God. Not only that, God doesn't save us and say, hey, you're saved, you're good, go do what you want to do. No, God calls us to be holy. I love what Sinclair Ferguson said about this. He said, Paul reminded Timothy that he was saved for holiness. Ferguson references Romans chapter 8, 29, said that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We are saved to be like Jesus. God saved us and called us to holiness, and it's not optional. It's what we are called to. First Peter says, according to God's mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And as God's children, we are to be holy as he is holy. We've been ransomed from sin and death by the blood of Jesus Christ. God saved us by summoning us to himself. Why? did that because of his own purpose and grace, not because of our works. See, this is the doctrine of grace. 
brothers and sisters, or what I call the doctrine of human inability. Paul says in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Paul goes on to say, God saved us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So before the creation account in Genesis, before when it was the triune God in eternity, God the Father planned to save his people from sin and death through the atoning work of his Son and through the calling and preservation of God the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 summarizes it this way. God chose us before the foundation of the world, predestined us for adoption in Christ Jesus, sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our salvation. If you are saved, rest in Jesus. You're not on that treadmill trying to earn and keep your salvation. It's a gift of God. He gave it to us as believers. Praise him. Lastly, Paul says to Timothy, this has come true in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Christ abolished death and brought eternal life to those he calls. So when the Jews and Greeks were mocking the Christians, asking, hey, where is your king? What actually did your king conquer? Or maybe when we are asked these questions, when we are mocked, maybe we have different questions to consider than the ones that have been posed to us. Maybe questions that are more pertinent. Maybe questions like, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Because Christ, the King, conquered sin and death through his perfect life, death on the cross, and resurrection. Friends, this is the gospel. These are the truths of the gospel that we must remember. The last point of guarding the gospel, if you're taking notes, is hold fast the gospel. Verses 11 through 18. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesephorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Here Paul is encouraging Timothy and all of us to hold tight, hold dearly the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Paul filled the offices of apostle, 
preacher and teacher. And what does he say? And he says, suffering comes to those that are in ministry. And we know that suffering comes to Christians. We read it all throughout Scripture. Paul suffered, and yet he was not ashamed, for he knew whom he believed in. Even through his suffering, Paul's confidence and trust were in Christ Jesus. Paul encourages his son in the faith, telling him that in his suffering, he too should have confidence and trust in Jesus. He should remember whom he believes. This promise is for us, right? This is for us. Let us encourage one another that we, Forest Park Church, should have confidence and trust in Jesus. We, Forest Park Church, should remember in whom we believe. Paul didn't seek man's approval. His confidence was in the Lord and was convinced correctly that the Lord would guard until that day what has been entrusted to him. So theologians can take this one of two ways. I think both can be true. One is that the gospel that was entrusted to Paul would be guarded by the Lord until judgment day. The other, which I lean more to, is that the Lord will preserve his salvation, that he would not lose his salvation even through judgment day. This is Paul's confidence in Jesus. If our perseverance depended on ourselves, we wouldn't last to tomorrow. We wouldn't last for another second. And yet, we thank our God that because salvation is from the Lord, we're able to have this confidence just like Paul. Paul goes on to encourage Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words that he heard from Paul. This is Paul saying, protect the gospel from false teachers. Keep the purity and soundness of the gospel. Call out those people that want to say nice things about how awesome they can be, how they have to meet God halfway, how they have to activate him and use him like some tool. Keep the purity and the soundness of the gospel. Stay faithful to the gospel and his people. Like the Levitical priests in the Old Testament days, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, guarding the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, Paul encourages Timothy in the same way, guard the good deposit entrusted to him. Guard, safeguard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to carry the ark around anymore. Timothy is to hold fast the gospel by sharing it in truth. Paul then gives an example of what happens when, he, when uh, we don't hold or behold the gospel, maybe become unfaithful or disloyal to the Lord and his people by mentioning Phygelus and Hermogenes. They turned away from Paul, probably out of shame and fear. Told you about the context. Like, am I really going to go to Rome and visit and risk being put in jail? See, this is a cautionary tale for Timothy. This is a cautionary tale for us as well. And yet Paul also encourages 
with an example of Onesephorus. See, Onesephorus held fast the gospel and was not ashamed of the gospel or the people of the Lord. Onesephorus was unashamed and without fear as he went to Rome and sought after Paul. He trusted the Lord and didn't cave into his fears or shame. Paul says, he searched me earnestly and found me. So as we turn to application this morning, what does guarding the gospel mean for us? We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. Remember the truth of the gospel. Hold fast the gospel. So what does that mean for us? I'd say the first application is remember Jesus. Do not be ashamed of the gospel is an exhortation to all of us. The world in which Paul and Timothy lived, perhaps, is not too different than the world in which we live. Maybe we don't see persecution and beatings and imprisonment, at least here in the United States. But if we look around the world, you see that. Maybe at our workplace, schools, social media, community gatherings, family gatherings, do we see people embracing Jesus and his people warmly? Are we greeted warmly in this world? Our society and culture, it's becoming more and more hostile to Jesus and the followers of Jesus. So brothers and sisters, are you shook with the events of this world like war, death, and violence? If so, Remember Jesus. Are you crushed by the weight of your sin and feel like you have no hope? If so, remember Jesus. Are you being persecuted? Are you shamed or made to suffer because of your faith? And you feel like maybe God's forgotten you or that maybe God doesn't care? If so, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus, who lived the perfect life that you could not live. Remember Jesus, who on the cross bore the penalty all of, for all of our past, present, and future sins. Thank you. Remember Jesus, who loves you so much that he died on the cross for you. Remember Jesus, who had the world in his hands and ordains all in this world for his glory and for our good. Remember who will never let out of his hands those that the Father has given him. Remember Jesus who is interceding for you right now with God the Father as our great high priest. Remember Jesus who will come back to give us a new body, a new heaven, and a new earth that we can enjoy eternity with him. Remember Jesus, the new and better Adam, who will take us back to the garden where the first Adam failed to take us back to where we were meant to be.
The second application for us this morning is proclaim Jesus. All of us as children of God are to proclaim Jesus to the ends of the earth. It's a great commission. We know this, right? So we need to proclaim Jesus to ourselves every day, exposing sin's lies that we tend to believe and replace it with what? Remember the truths of the gospel. Remember Jesus. We are saved by God as his children, and we are able to live a holy life with the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to proclaim Jesus to our brothers and sisters and suffer together as Paul encouraged Timothy because we often lose sight of the eternal things and get fixated sometimes on the temporal things of the here and now. We need to proclaim Jesus to one another. We need to proclaim Jesus to those who don't know him as their Lord and Savior. This is what Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley wrote. They say, we must be faithful to deliver the gospel call and pray for God to deliver the effectual call. 1 Corinthians 3 says, we seed and we water and we make it grow. No. It says, we seed, we water, and it's God that makes it grow. So similarly, we proclaim Jesus to the lost, knowing that it's not our call that will soften their hearts to open their eyes, but it's the effectual call of God that will draw his people to himself. This is God's wonderful, irresistible grace, grace that we don't deserve, gift of God. How humbling is that God of the universe uses our prayers and our testimonies of proclaiming Jesus to draw people to himself. What a privilege it is to be used by God for his purposes. Lastly, proclaim Jesus knowing that you and I Don't have to be perfect to do so. I'm claiming this promise right now for the last 20 minutes or so. This is the promise that I've been claiming. Friends, we, you, don't have to be perfect to proclaim Jesus. That's the whole point. We point to the perfect one. Look at Paul. He persecuted Christians, and God used them as an apostle. Paul wasn't a great public speaker, yet the Lord used him in a mighty way. Look at Timothy. What do we know? He was shy. He was timid. He dealt with shame. He was afraid. We can proclaim Jesus. You can proclaim Jesus because God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, self-control. We can proclaim Jesus with confidence because he is the author of salvation. See, neither your performance 
nor the performance of the one you're sharing the gospel to will frustrate the work of the Lord. Let me say that again. Neither your performance or the performance of the ones that you're sharing the gospel to will frustrate what God is going to do. God is God, and we are called to obey and proclaim him and follow him. And we know that as God, he will provide salvation, which is why we don't have to be perfect, which is why we can go to God through Jesus Christ as the perfect one, as our Savior. So brothers and sisters, let us all guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us.